Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680, WPTF. Good Saturday evening to you. I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for joining us. Alongside me, as always, we've got Cooper Linton with Transitions Life Care. Good evening to you, Cooper. Good evening, Jason. We've also got Nicole Bruno with Transitions Guiding Lights. Hello, Nicole. That's right. Raise the roof. No coffee. <laughs> Raise, I'm going to blow past that one. Oh, come on now. It's, it's not 1996 anymore. We're going we're gonna to power through that That was a good year. It, I have no new material for my sons. It, it was a good year. I'll give you that. But no coffee in hand. This is a, this is a surprise. We had a bit of a, uh, a coffee fiasco this evening, so we're just going to – we missed out on coffee. I hope uh, my colleagues in the studio will forgive me. That's okay. That's okay. We've got plenty of stuff to get through, so uh, we've got a really great show planned this evening with uh, lots and lots of elements, lots and lots of guests, so we got to jump right into it. Uh, Cooper, we've got uh, a familiar guest here in the studio, and uh, before the show we were trying to narrow down her many, many titles, and I think we're going to spend the rest of the show – Going over all of her titles, I think that's right. we're what we're going to spend the next spend hour the, doing. Right, we're just going to read a list of titles in every place she's ever presented. <laughs> she's not only familiar to folks on the show, but she's probably very familiar to people in the caregiving community uh, here in this area. Uh, we're actually very privileged to have Melanie Bunn with us, who is a, a nurse practitioner, but she's also a national dementia educator. You may have heard her speak at, at any number of nonprofits in the area at caregiver conferences or summits. Uh, you may have heard her on this radio show. You may have actually had her as an instructor at the Duke University uh, School of Nursing. So there's lots of places you may have run into Melanie Bunn, and we're glad that you've joined us this evening. Thank I'm, you. I'm so glad to be here. So we, we have a lot of things to jump into when we start looking at the holidays. And can you just start us off? This is a topic you're so familiar with. How do we get started in looking at the holiday season and, and all the issues related to self-care and, and uh, dealing with caregiving? Well, it's really important um, to think about life from the perspective, perspective of the person living with dementia. Because the better we make their life, the better we make caregivers' lives. So when we start thinking about um, how difficult and challenging the holidays can be or how wonderful and exciting and pleasant and full of joy the holidays can be. If we start thinking about what are the pieces that make each of those experiences different for caregivers and for people living with dementia, then we can find a way to make it meaningful, joyful for both people. So you're saying it doesn't have to be burdensome, it doesn't have to be stressed out, it doesn't have to be awful just because my loved one has dementia? Absolutely. The holidays can be really a very wonderful time for people with dementia because there's so many visual cues that bring back wonderful memories. Such as? Such as Christmas trees, such as Hanukkah menorahs, such as Christmas lights, such as snow showers, such as presents, such as children dressed up in fancy clothes, such as family meals, such as Thanksgiving turkeys. All of those visual symbols bring, bring back joy for many people. For, sometimes they stimulate sadness and loss, but they also bring back joy. And then we haven't even started talking about the smells. You know, the smells of evergreens, the smells of Christmas dinner, the smells of gingerbread and sugar cookies and all of those things trigger emotional memories 
for people living with dementia, just like they do for us. So that, this time of year really does, based on my experience, perk up that individual with dementia. They, oftentimes they chatter brightly and they almost appear to be cognitively improved. But on the other side, that can be a challenge because you have some family members that are coming into town that haven't seen mom or dad. And I, as the caregiver, may have been telling them there's been a decline. I'm really getting stressed out. We're seeing these behaviors. But then when family comes into town and mom appears to be wonderfully bright, people start to question, well, maybe I'm just being grumpy and not the happy daughter that I should be. And so how do we deal with some of that? tough stuff as, as an individual going through this time. That is such an incredibly powerful and important point, Nicole, because we sometimes forget that there's a chemical component to dementia as well, and those chemicals fluctuate. So sometimes that daughter or that son or that loved one or that family member or that neighbor or that friend comes in from out of town, those chemicals go up and the person can engage and they're connected and they're excited and happy. And I had one daughter tell me, so very poignantly um i want the mother my sister gets mm-hmm. you know i'm the daughter who's here i'm the daughter who gets the troubles and the the stressors and the challenges and my sister thinks i'm just being too hard on my mom because the mom she sees is engaging and bright and so having people understand that the person with dementia is doing the best they can mm-hmm. in both situations, but their fluctuations and they can't control it. It's very similar to every once in a while there's a, an amazing story about a parent who picks up a car and their child has been run over, you know, yeah. is underneath a car tire. They pick up the car, they kick the kid out from under the tire, and then, you know, saves a child, all these kinds. You can't manufacture that. That's that adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. That's that neurotransmitter rush. That happens to people living with dementia. It's not controllable. But as you said, sometimes families start to doubt what they're really seeing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the family who are local pay for it later on. Yeah, with because, co- comments that they don't want to hear mm-hmm. from loved ones that are well-intentioned, but mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. it, it can be very difficult, and I hear that all the time. And that energy boost is often followed by an energy decline. Yes. yes. And so the family leaves, the, everything's gone, and that person then has to recover from that period of excitement. And sometimes it's local family who really have to deal with that. And then they're dealing with the resentment related to it, thinking that, well, maybe mom really is okay and she's just giving me a hard time. I mean, those are all normal feelings. Yeah, and especially family dynamics are complicated. Mm -hmm. And if I think she always liked you better than me Mm -hmm. anyway, then it gets really complicated. I think sometimes it's important that we we talk about living in the present. We talk about living in the present with the person that we have dementia. But the point you just made actually means that we live in the present, but in the context of all of our memories – in the context of all of the previous holidays, Christmases. And so all of that gets a, becomes a subtext. All those family relationships can become a subtext for how we experience the present, how we go into the holidays. Any suggestions for maybe turning loose of some of that? It's incredibly easy to say, let go of the past and celebrate the present. But that's really challenging to do. And I'm sure Nicole and her experience or in your experience, I've I've not spent time with any family member I really respected and appreciated who didn't go through some of that, you know, of that loss and that grief. I'm a big believer in support groups. 
Um, I'm a big believer that spending time with peers, talking about what your experience is, having that validated, that it, it is normal. You're not a bad daughter or a bad son or a bad spouse because you feel that way. You're not a bad person. It's just part of life. Well, the support group puts a different context on your own experience. You then have something to compare it to or discuss your situation with a group of people who are in a similar spot. Mm -hmm. You're no longer isolated, and so you you have an area for contrast or comparison. And sometimes you can say things to someone in a similar position in a support group. So if my husband has dementia and there's a daughter there but not my daughter – her dad has dementia, but it's not my husband. Sometimes she can say things to me, I want to be involved with my dad's life. I can say things to her like, um, but you've, you've, got your own, you've got your own children, you've got your work. We can talk about that to this, not my daughter, not my mother, um, when we can't talk about it to our own relatives sometimes. So it gives us time to practice some of those challenging things. Our guest this evening is Melanie Bunn. She is the she is a national dementia educator, nurse practitioner, consultant for Duke University School of Nursing, and just about everything else under the sun. And we're very lucky to have her this evening. We're going to continue our conversation in just a bit. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. I am Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno, and Cooper Linton here alongside me. Our guest this evening is Melanie Bunn. She is a national dementia educator, a nurse practitioner, and consultant with Duke University School of Nursing. And Cooper, we were uh, talking a lot about the holidays and, um, you know, uh, care and self-care and uh, family interactions and, and you mentioned something during the break that uh, kind of hit home for me as well but that's that's the importance of music music can be a big key well there's holiday music and mm-hmm. it really doesn't matter which tradition you have for the holidays there's music that you grew up with or there's music that's associated with your faith community or whatever you celebrate um, and th- that music becomes really a, an auditory tapestry as a background for the holidays, which is why you have radio stations playing it. Um, and you go to, to faith services where it is played. And yet the engagement with music for people with dementia is a little different. And I, and I can you know, speak to the fact that I had a family member who had lost their ability to speak, to even say hello, and yet could sing along with music. Melanie, can you can you shed some light on this? Because how do we separate holiday music from the holidays, and or do we have to? And how do we how do we incorporate that into caregiving and the experience that our loved ones have? Well, I think it brings back such powerful emotions and connections. Plus, there, there's some real logical reasons why that happens. Um, some part of language is stored on on one side of the brain. Separate parts of language are stored on the other side of the brain. Music and rhythmic speech is stored in a part of the brain where it's really protected. So it's automatically more accessible and more available to the person. Then you add on the emotional connections, which makes more parts of the brain connect. And then you've got holiday music, which is in a class all of its own. So it really does bring back. It just it just causes this surge of neurotransmitters, and it can be this beautiful moment for people. I think, you know, one of the things I've heard family caregivers talk about is how that really brings the grandchildren oftentimes 
into ha- feeling like they have a relationship with the grandparent who may have a dementia component, especially around the holidays, because they're not quite sure how to interact with grandma who might be acting a little differently. But boy, can she sing jingle bells. Exactly. And it can be a wonderful when we when we start thinking about paying attention to what people can do instead of what they can't do. Then we wind up finding ways to celebrate faith by having people go to the Christmas concert at the church instead of a worship service, you know, going to a children's program instead of something that's more formal. So we find ways to really make what's wonderful and positive, wonderful and positive, and to make it that that wonderful moment where you've got multiple generations mm-hmm. and it's shared, capture those moments yes. for forever. Almost everybody's got a smartphone. Videotape that. Have it forever to use mm-hmm. to celebrate and, and to uplift that moment. Definitely. I think that is absolutely a beautiful idea for sure. What can we do to set up that person with dementia for success the day of the holiday? Let's say we are going to have a lot of family in town because I know crowds can be difficult. That is a wonderful question. So prioritize what's the most important part of this experience. So if the most important part of the experience is being with family, then maybe we let the feast be something different. Mm -hmm. If the most important part is faith, then maybe we let family be secondary to that. So really prioritize what is the critical piece for this moment then we kind of think about looking at it through the eyes of that person with dementia. Is it overwhelming? Is it too much? How can we simplify? How can we maybe change something? Maybe there's something that's typically done um, late in the evening or the afternoon. Maybe we could have it at lunchtime when that person might have more energy as a resource for them. So what can we change to make it work for that person living with dementia? So who decides? Who decides what's the most important? I think it's what you know about that person Mm -hmm. and being consistent with how they've lived their life. So really building that day around that individual instead of worrying about pleasing all the other individuals that are coming. Because I think that's what we tend to do, especially that individual who's in that caregiver role, who's taken that on, whether they wanted to take it on or not, they're in that role because they probably tend to be the one that is wanting to please everybody. It's really hard to give up all those little perfection pieces. I mean, maybe making it not about the feast, but oh, that's so hard not to make that turkey. And it's so hard not to get the china out. And oh, I'm letting myself down. I'm letting everybody else down. How do we deal with those feelings? So maybe by finding a way to pull out little pieces of it. So maybe the person living with dementia is part of this, but does something else during this other part. Mm -hmm. So they're not there for the whole experience or the whole event. The other thing is to really take a deep breath and and to let go of the way things used to be. Mm, That is so hard. It is, (laughs) but the way we used to be. And and because what, what the person living with dementia really needs is the connection. And the connection comes when we really find a way to let go of unreasonable expectations of ourselves and of other people. Because I have caregivers do this activity where they they pull their shoulders up to their ears and they make their hands in the fist and they squint their eyes and and look at the person next to them and say, well, I'm just trying to help you. Because the reality (laughs) is you look scary. You're so stressed. You look really scary. You look overwhelmed. And people with dementia respond to emotion and visual cues. Mm -hmm. 
So if you're stressed and distressed, that person living with dementia is going to imitate or mirror what you're going through. And then everything just starts going down the tube. So finding a way to let go is really complicated, but it's healing. Some of it comes with doing the things that help you cope with other difficult times of your life. So if support groups were helpful, or if journaling was helpful, or if taking a long walk or a long bath is helpful, or burning some lavender candle is helpful, signing some ways to build yourself back up. So I feel like we've got a sense of how do I structure the holiday around my loved one so that they can enjoy it. How do I take care of me? Now, how do I prep all these other people that are going to show up for what's going on? How do I get them ready so that they are actually able to be a participant and a help? And honestly, so that maybe I don't dread them coming. That's a wonderful question because too often the family members who are coming in feel ambushed because they don't understand what's going on and why it's going on. And so what we can do is share video of what life really looks like. You know, take some videos of what the person looks like, how the person talks. So they're, they're not hit unexpectedly with some significant changes that can happen since the last visit. Um, there's some wonderful resource information out there that goes through progression of disease, that goes through changes that are associated with dementia. There's some fantastic educational materials that you can share. There's some video out there that you can share that'll really give that person an opportunity to be a little more prepared. Um, sometimes it's easier to do some of those things um, in email. So everybody gets the same information or text. So everybody gets the same information. The person can look at it. They can read it. They can go back and watch the video clip again. Go back and watch the video clip again. People can process it in their own time, in their own way. Some families have found it really helpful to have some cues, like time out. You know, what you're doing is not working. You need to take a time out. Or what I'm doing is not working. I need to take a time out. And so then you can kind of do that tag team kind of thing. Well, very good. That's some great advice and some great insight. Melanie Bunn, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We really appreciate you coming here in studio. It was lovely to be here. Uh, we will continue the program here. We've got uh, some more guests lined up. We're going to be talking about a, uh, a great community organization that you can be involved with, and uh, we'll have more information about that, as well as we'll touch on grief counseling as well. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. Well, Cooper, one of the recurring themes on this program is, is the sense of community and how important a role that plays with caregiving and receiving. And you've brought some guests in here that are uh, a very big part of our community. Absolutely, they are. And part of this is we hear all the bad things. We watch the news and we hear all these terrible things on the news. And there are a lot of stressful things to watch. But to totally, we sometimes totally miss that there are awesome things happening in our community. And there are people who are facilitating that. One of the groups that has been very formative uh, in our community is the Women's Giving Network of Wake County. And you may never have heard of them, but that's really why they're on the show today. We want folks to hear from these folks. And so we have Lori Hughes, who's the president of the Women's Giving Network. And we also have Molly Painter with us this evening, who is the grants chair. So welcome to the show this evening. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you for having us. So could you start with what is the Women's Giving Network of Wake County? The Women's Giving Network of Wake County um, is really a network of like-minded women trying to um, make a greater impact in our community. So together we pool our resources um, and try to reach out to the community um, by pooling our uh, our funds together to uh, to have um, a bigger impact. A bigger impact, exactly. Um, so you know, as one person, we really can make a difference. But together, we make again a bigger impact. Um, we are you know so fortunate for the amazing women that we do have. And finding out the different organizations that are in our community that are really looking to be funded and to um, and, and, and need the, the assistance of what we can do. So it is just an amazing uh, group of women that come together to try to to make a difference. So in full disclosure, Transition Scouting Lights was a recipient of a grant in 2017 for the work that we do with training individuals who'd like to enter the professional caregiving world as certified nursing assistants. And I was just at your annual awards luncheon where you awarded the 2018 grantees. And there was quite an interesting story that was told really about how this was formed. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that with us? Sure. Um, back in 2006, a few very um, innovative women got together, and exactly what I had said before is that they felt to coming together would uh, make a greater difference. Um, from really what had happened is we've all got you know dressed up and go to these very formal fundraisers, mm -hmm. and after a while, it just doesn't really make sense what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of money kind of just lost in the transition of really where it's going to. Running the event. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So, you know, after that event, these women sat down and said, you know what, let's take the high heels off mm -hmm. and let's just really make a difference. So they thought if they pool their resources, maybe even just the ticket of what it cost them to go to these functions, um, let's put that and really make a difference into organizations that maybe don't have the funds to put on a gala like mm -hmm. that. You know, there's got to be organizations in our community that are looking to to make a difference, but just don't have those resources. So that's where the, in 2006, this group of women did come together and they pooled their resources together. And in 2007, they were able to to make their first grant. So since 2007 to date, we have been able to provide one point one over one point one million dollars to our community. That's amazing. That's an amazing testament to what happens when individuals who think individually they can't do a whole lot come together as a community to support the community. Molly, what kind of grants do you see coming in? What types of programs do you support? Well, our mission on the Grants Committee is to um, serve women and children in Wake County. And like Lori said, you know, when women get together, we can make a difference. And we really believe... Um, and the, the nonprofits in our community that are serving women and children because if we can change the lives of the women and children, we will see change in our community. So we, um, we generally get in about 38, 40 to 50 letters of intent from nonprofits all over Wake County. And this year, the three grantees were, were new nonprofits or new programs within existing nonprofits. So that was really exciting. Well, that really speaks to Lori's point that mm -hmm. there are 
organizations out there that are very small, they may be brand mm-hmm. new, and they're not in a position to put on some major fundraiser or major walk or giant gala, but they still have a critical mission that improves lives in the community, and you guys are able to seek them out and really, in, in a sense, act like a jump starter or an incubator for some nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Yes. What are some other causes, if you could just give us examples of things that you funded in the past? Sure. Well, I'll just tell you about the three grant recipients from this year. Um, we funded Justice Matters, which is um, a nonprofit out of, based out of Durham, and they are moving to Wake County. Our money is going to go towards a family um, family attorney that is going to support children and their caregivers who are seeking either custody or uh, adoption. Um, these are the most vulnerable children in our community, and uh, the hope is just to keep them out of the foster care system and um, just to provide them with stable environments so they can not be victims of human trafficking. Another arm of that of Justice Matters deals in human trafficking, so they're very familiar with that. Um, but they have this really cool, holistic, um, trauma-informed care approach and their office feels like a counseling center. They The clients come in, they only have to tell their story once, um, which is a, just very unique. So we're really excited about this grant. Um, they'll, they'll be in Wake County. The Wake County court system is, is very different from the Durham County court system, and so they needed um, someone in Wake County, and we're excited to be a part of that. Uh, another grant recipient this year was the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. Obviously, that's an established um, Museum, but they have a girls in science program, and they realized that some low income girls and minority girls that wanted to be part of the girls in science program were not able to. So they they have reached out to that community and are providing scholarships so those girls can can also participate in the the STEM program at the museum. And the third grant this year was I have to look at my notes because this is a a doozy of a name, the Raleigh Wake Partnership to End and Prevent Homelessness, which is a central... It in- is a doozy of a It name. is. Uh, so, <laughs> I didn't want to mess it up. Um, this is going to be a central intake system for the homeless, and um, they are going to have a... They are going to have an actual location, but essentially it is uh, a network that is coordinating all the, the homeless shelters in Wake County. And uh, we're really excited about this one because... Believe it or not, this does not exist. And so it, this is... It's interesting it doesn't when we hear all the media around homeless issues, uh, <clears throat> food distribution on the streets, and yet there doesn't seem to be a central nervous system for the coordination of services right. that outreach to that very audience of homelessness. The hope is that they will be you know, off the street quicker because they can come into this one place and they, they will be able to find them shelter. And then also we'll get them exactly the services that they need Um and coordinate those for them. So if folks would like to find out more about the Women's Giving Network of Wake County, what's the best way that they could they could learn more about your organization, your mission, uh, and, how to, and how to participate if they would like to? As far as going on to the internet, really just doing a search of the Women's Giving Network of Wake County, and it will bring up, um, we serve, um, I, I, sh- I should say, we are under the umbrella of the North Carolina Community Foundation. Mm-hmm. So we do have a web page under their their website. So if if it if you do a search on the internet, you can you know find us and you'll find our our page under the North Carolina Community Foundation. Um, and you're looking for new members always, or is this a closed group? How does that work? Because it's a, it's a very easy equation. 
the more members we have, the larger the impact we can make in our community. So if you know if anyone is interested in joining or learning more about it, we are definitely available to to listen and to give out that feedback. Well, we'd like to thank you very much for both coming on the show, but also for the impact that you and your membership continues to make, have already made, but also continues to make in our community by taking individuals, pooling their efforts together, and really being able to focus your collective energies and resources on impacting organizations that might otherwise be missed in our community. And they'd certainly be missed if they went away. So thank you for keeping them alive and well. And we appreciate your time on the show this evening. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Our guests this evening have been Lori Hughes, who serves as president of the Women's Giving Network of Wake County, as well as Molly Painter, who's the Grants Committee Chair of the Women's Giving Network of Wake County. And if you want to find more information about them, again, you can just Google Women's Giving Network of Wake County, or you can find more information under this episode of Aging Matters and the WPTF.com website. If you just head over to the Aging Matters section, you'll find tonight's episode as well as a link to the Women's Giving Network of Wake County if you'd like to get involved, and we highly encourage that. A quick break and back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong alongside Nicole Bruno and Cooper Linton, as always. And Cooper, we've got uh, you know, one of our uh, one of our own here in here this evening, and this is always nice. We've got uh, Laura Bradbury here with us. She's a grief counselor with Transitions Life Care and uh now, there's a, another sect as well, Transitions Grief, grief Care, care? Yeah, okay. which is actually part of the bereavement programs that we offer to folks in our community. Uh, yeah, I actually have a really distinct privilege, which is a chance to interview a colleague. So often <laughs> uh, we interview uh, people with great expertise all out of our all through our community, which is fabulous. But on occasion, we get to bring somebody in who's a colleague. So, Laura, thank you for coming into the show this evening. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It is really good to be here with you all. Well, I know that this week in particular, you had a very large event uh, this past Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that you'll want to touch on that in a moment, just to kind of explain one of those events that we do in the community. But can we start off with grief counseling and grief counseling for the holidays? And why do those two things go together? Sure, we can definitely talk about that. I, so I've been a grief counselor for several years now and and through several holiday seasons, and we tend to see a lot of recurring themes in that the main one is really just that the holidays are a difficult time for people. Part of it is sort of the natural stress of the holidays, that they're, they're a naturally stressful time for just about anybody, even under the best of circumstances. And then when you throw something like grief into the mix, that can that can really make it more difficult. Uh, fundamentally, the holidays are when we tend to gather with the people we mm-hmm. love. And so mm-hmm. there may be a real point of uh, an acuity to that sense of loss yeah. when the people that we feel closest to, that we spent many traditions with, just simply aren't there one year. Yep. There's nothing quite like a gathering of people to remind us of who is missing. Yeah. So what do we do about it? <laughs> I don't mean to be trite, but I mean, really, what uh, some of this, it seems like, it's painful. The holidays are mm-hmm. not going to skip us as mm-hmm. much as sometimes you may want a holiday to mm-hmm. pass over you. What, what do you do? 
That is a great question, and it's honestly kind of the um, kind of the golden question that we continue trying to find answers to. And I think the reality is that there's not a not a real specific answer. There's not a there's not a well. This is the right way to do grief over Here's the holidays. Here's the bookmark with all the check boxes yeah. on it that tells you what to do for the holidays. Exactly. And I mean, it would be terrific if we had that, but we don't. So um, so a few things that I have noticed that are sort of recurring themes of what's been helpful for some of my clients over the holidays has first of all been to, been to openly acknowledge the pain that we're feeling, um, which sounds almost counterintuitive. Like it's almost like we have this instinct to try to power through, and you know we're just going to put on a happy face and we're going to we're going to just try to make it through the season. And for people to be able to openly acknowledge to themselves and also to others in their in their world that this is a little bit different, um, that this is a little bit harder than what it's been in the past, really makes a difference. Um, you might you might just say you know we, we're gonna we're gonna take a few minutes at this year's at this year's Christmas dinner to to remember those people who've died. We're going to take a, we're gonna light a candle. We're gonna do something that that acknowledges to ourselves and to everyone else that we that this is a different year. So it can be something change. tangible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We find a lot of symbolic representations are really helpful, especially over the holidays. And I think that's a great example. But I've also heard, you know, different families grieve differently and mm-hmm. even different people within families. Mm-hmm. So I've heard sort of the whole family dynamic situation occurring where, well, my sister wants to remember my mom by lighting a candle, but I find that depressing. I don't yeah. want to do that. So yeah. Hannah, how do you navigate those kind of tricky roads as well? Because for one person, that might be healing for another might not be so much. Yep, and that is really challenging. I think I think um, when a death occurs, we often sort of expect that the family is going to kind of rally together and sort of rise to their best self in that occasion. Not so much, yeah. And that's usually <laughs> not what happens, unfortunately. We tend to have higher expectations of one another when we also have way less to be able to offer to one another. And so part of that is... Um, again, really just the importance of open communication, acknowledging to the family members that, um, that, you, may, that you may have different needs than somebody else will. And for example, uh, the example that you gave, that somebody wants to light a candle, but somebody else finds that creepy and depressing, um, you may have to say that. You, I understand that you want to light a candle, and if that feels right to you, go ahead and do it. I'm going to honor my loved one in a different way. I'm going to make a different choice. And perhaps finding individual things that you can do and also things that the whole family and can do And try not to judge each other as exactly. well. Especially mm-hmm. on those first holiday anniversaries. I think mm-hmm. that those can be very difficult. Yep. Sort of remembering that, that it's different for everyone and that that's okay. Part of your point earlier was that there is no right way. Exactly. I think that speaks of the non-judgmental pieces. There may be half a dozen right ways to do this mm-hmm. in the same family, but all those right ways may be different from one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's very true. And um, and remembering that, that even, I mean, there's a lot of experts out there that have really good and really, um, I think, valid opinions about what about what can be helpful as we go through grief and particularly as we go through the holiday season. But remembering that you are the expert in your own grief is really important. So earlier in the show, we were talking about people who are actively caregiving now and what you need to do to do provide some self-care, mm-hmm. you know, when you're actually a caregiver going through this. But I think probably some of that's true during the grieving process around the holidays as well. If, you, if, you, if you're no longer a caregiver, you still probably need to engage in some self-care during the holidays. Yep. And 
the holidays are a really um, common time to forget about self-care, which is unfortunate. But taking some time, recognizing that every holiday event or activity that you might take part in is going to take some energy from you. And in addition to that, grief takes energy. So you're probably going to be feeling extra depleted. And so I always encourage my clients to, like you said, engage in self-care. And what that what that may mean is going to be different for everyone. But to think about the... Um, to think about the your energy balance and if you're if you're engaging in a lot of activities that are going to deplete you engage in some that that will nurture you as well that might be um exercise it might be like a warm bath it might be just doing something that that you enjoy that that gives you a chance to recharge and reset your own self so let's face it, the holidays in general, caregiving or not, are stressful mm-hmm. for everybody. Exactly. There are a lot of expectations. There's financial obligations. There are trips to seeing people that, you know, you've perhaps have been able to avoid for a while that are just mm-hmm. difficult family members. So when you're compounding all this together and then you're dealing with some real emotional topics, it really can be difficult. What can a family member do when they feel like they just can't handle this on their own? Is it time to reach out for help or should you just try to give yourself time to get through it? Um, That is a great question. Um, I always encourage the clients that I work with to have regular check-ins with themselves to really just assess their own own feelings and their own needs and, and try to do an honest evaluation of of what they need moving forward. Grief has lots of ups and downs. What we need today might be very different than what we need tomorrow. Um, So reaching out for support is uh, is a great option and there's a variety of different support programs that are available. As a grief counselor, we regularly get calls from clients that are wanting to set up some individual counseling or join a support group. And that's definitely something something that we offer at our grief center to anybody from the community. And there's also other, other programs out there that people can take advantage of as well. If anyone listening wants to get some more information, what's the best way to do that? Um, if, if you want to learn more about the programs that are offered specifically at Transitions Life Care, you are always welcome to call the Grief Center. The phone number for that is 919-719-7199. That's the Grief Center main line. That's the easiest way to connect to a counselor. Again, that phone number is 919 919-719-719. 919-719-719. Seven one nine nine. Laura Bradbury, thank you so much for joining us this evening. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. We are just about out of time, but we're, there's just enough time to thank you all for listening and for joining us this evening. You can find this full episode at WPTF.com under the Aging Matters section. You can also get a hold of us by sending us an email Aging Matters at transitionslifecare.org. That's Aging Matters at transitionslifecare.org. On behalf of Nicole Bruno and Cooper Linton, I am Jason Kong. Thanks again for listening. Join us again next week on Aging Matters here on News Radio 680 WPTF.